0: deal that's dead in the water, a Prime Minister on borrowed time. Join us as we unpick a full-on crisis and try to answer the question, exactly how screwed are we? Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading this latest podcast, which arrives after a suspiciously quiet few days at Westminster. Not really. The country's in chaos and we're all doomed. Let's start with a disclaimer. We're recording this on Thursday evening. Right now, we've had seven resignations so far today. Now, by the time you hear this, it's entirely possible that Theresa May is the only person left in the government. Or she may have been replaced by... Jacob Rees-Mogg or a bulldog in a Union Jack waistcoat that can hum Land of Hope and Glory. So this is where we are right now. In a moment, we'll waste our time examining a deal that is clearly already over. But let's start with what seems to be the precursor to the inevitable end of Theresa May's time in Downing Street. Because no matter what the Prime Minister has said so far, you can see it in her eyes. She knows this is the end game. Faced with impossible circumstances, charged with delivering undeliverable promises, made by a group of people who had no problems with lying and then buggered off and left her to it. But here we are with an ill-prepared leader who's made a series of poor decisions, which has led to this inevitable position. A deal that nobody wants. A deal that makes no one happy. A deal that has no chance of being approved. Open revolt on every side of her party we're plunging into full-on political chaos and there is seemingly no escape. A cheerful note on which we'll bring in Robert Meekin. Robert, we, we're recording this, as I say, on Thursday evening, a little while after what was, even by Theresa May's standards, an extraordinarily tin news conference where she just announced this news conference, left us to speculate for two hours what, what was going to happen, turned up and just repeated what she's already said twice in the last 24 hours. Obviously, we just the problem was that we just didn't understand her, that we hadn't been paying attention. And she didn't acknowledge what a terrible mess she's in and, by consequence, what a terrible mess the country's now in. Her deal is already dead. Her career is over. The Prime Minister is toast. But she carries on as if, to use one of her more infamous phrases, nothing has changed.
1: I know. I mean, as a spectator sport, it it, it makes bizarre... Uh, viewing, you have to say to her credit. However, we criticise her decisions and her her time in Ten Downing Street. Just to keep ploughing on the way she does is, you know, verges. I say on the on the on the bizarre. Really, I mean, it's incredible. She comes to this big press conference and, of course, reverts essentially to the the old Maybot we we've seen many many times and and sticks to tried and tested lines. But is still fighting on. Here is someone who's going to stick at it right to the bitter end. And of course, it will be a very, very bitter end. But that
0: bitter end is at most four or five weeks away, possibly four or five days away. And, And yet there is within this... All of the things that we've said all along are Theresa May's flaws, her inability to react to a situation as it changes, her inability to think on her feet, her inability to deviate from the path that she's chosen, even when it's blindingly obvious that the path that she's chosen, you know, is a cul-de-sac. And the inevitable conclusion of this is that she is going to lose her job and this deal is going to be rejected. And, and that plunges the country into a crisis that will make the current crisis look like a toddler's birthday party. And yet she just keeps plugging on and pretending that if we'd only just listen to her, we'd
1: all be fine. Yeah, and I think, and of course, this will be very much part of her inevitable political tragedy, I think she truly believes that. Yes, there obviously is that self-obsessed arrogance that comes with most people who get into Theresa May's position in politics. I really think she believes that she is the best person for the job, and I really believe she thinks Well, if I stand aside now, that would morally be the wrong thing to do. And B, if I do that now, who the hell is going to take over? Do I really want to risk leaving this to someone like Boris Johnson? Well, we'll get on in a little while to what happens when she goes, not if,
0: when she goes. But let's just deal with with the last 24 hours before we actually get on to dissecting the deal. She comes out from the cabinet meeting and says, the cabinet is backing my Brexit deal. We find out more or less straight away that the best part of a dozen minutes have been speaking against it, that some had been shouted down in the cabinet meeting as they tried to raise objections, and so it's no surprise at all that the following morning you get Esther McVeigh resigning, who was the one who was allegedly shouted down in that meeting. Dominic Raab has obviously grabbed the headlines by quitting as, as Brexit secretary. He is trying to paint this as a principled stand. He He's arrived at the point where he can no longer tolerate the deal the Prime Minister is pushing forward. And he clearly thinks that he's got a chance of pushing himself into the leadership, of, of remaking himself as the man to save Brexit. But you have to ask, in his epic one hundred and thirty eight days as the Secretary of State for exiting the European Union, what the hell has he been doing? He's certainly not been exerting any influence over the deal.
1: No, I think and I think that's fair to say, and David Davis, his predecessor, I think, felt that as well. I think in the day to day nuts and bolts negotiation process. It's obviously fair to conclude that the Brexit secretary has been a peripheral figure. So I, I, I think that's the case. But in terms of Dominic Raab himself, you'd always have to say, yes, there's a lot of political manoeuvring going on there. Yes, he does consider himself a potential uh, contender for the big job. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. But the position of Brexit Secretary obviously just simply never, never worked. Brexit Secretary was not involved enough in Brexit.
0: No, the Brexit Secretary, and this seems to have been something that's affected both of the, the people who've so far held this role, basically has has sort of been a Courier, whose job has been to jump on the Eurostar every so often with a bundle of papers, while the civil servants, the Ollie Robbins and people like that, have led the negotiations. And it's been Theresa May who's been setting the political direction of travel, in which case, what was the point in setting up this department in the first place? But again, Dominic Raab, who was parachuted in there to try and keep the Brexiteers happy, he's achieved nothing. And yet he is clearly positioning himself as the man to save Brexit, when so far he has never given any indication that he is actually equipped to do that job.
1: I do think there are people, whether we agree with him or not, on the Brexit side who come from a principled point of view. I think for for all the sort of mockery and anger sometimes uh, aimed at Jacob Rees-Mogg, I think he genuinely, yeah, he genuinely believes his position. And I genu- believe it it's not come from a point of view thinking here's you know Career, political career advancement here. I think he's just he's got an obsession with the Brexit position that is long, long-standing. Look, then on the flip side of someone like Dominic Raab, and there's a lot more grey areas. As you say, there are there are a lot more considerations about where am I going to be in a year, six months, six weeks, a couple of weeks' time politically? Am I going to be a contender for the Tory leadership? I, he clearly fancies that idea. So he, I think, comes from a very different point of view, as does someone like Boris Johnson. But there are people on the Brexit side of the argument who. who who have always just have held these views, you know, for for many, many, many years. And it's no surprise that they're the ones now, of course, who are coming forward and and causing all manner of problems to the prime minister. You mentioned Jacob Rees-Mogg,
0: who has now decided to move against us sooner rather than later. He's put in his letter to the 1922 committee calling for this no confidence vote in Theresa May's leadership. It is pretty clear that they are going to get to the 48 letters they need and that that confidence vote is going to come in the next few days. People are already talking about maybe Tuesday of next week being the day for that vote. Now, we've talked before about what a big gamble this is, because you're only allowed to do this once a year to challenge the leader in this way. And yes, you'll get the 48 letters. The vote is inevitable. But you've then got a very, very short window this weekend, basically, to persuade more than 150 in total MPs to join your revolution and and vote her out and unseat her. Now, there are more than 100 of the 318 Tory MPs who are on the government payroll in some way, assuming they haven't all resigned by the time this podcast has gone out. So you've got a tough job on your hands there. Theresa May has said if she wins by one vote in that confidence vote, she will carry on as prime minister, which raises the prospect of 140 or 150 conservative MPs expressing they have no confidence in the party leader and prime minister at the most critical stage in our country's political life in decades. And she would just limp on. Now, admittedly, probably only for another few weeks until Parliament rejects the deal. But even so, that further weakens an already catastrophically weak Prime Minister at a
1: time when the period of time we have left is measured in weeks. It's the last thing this country needs as of this moment. Yes, we know Theresa May is toast and it's only going to last so much longer. But to have such an added distraction, such an added indulgence at this time, I think would be an utterly appalling uh, thing to do. doesn't matter if you're a Labour supporter, Tory supporter, whatever. There's responsibility for the ruling government right now to stagger on in some sort of way until that government is brought down. And for the Tories to somehow have another, another civil war in the middle of it and actually a leadership election would be an utter disgrace and utterly irresponsible. And of course, it's quite possible it'll happen. I think it's almost
0: certainly going to happen. And what the Brexiteers don't have an answer to is what happens after that. Because let's assume she fell in a confidence vote next week that triggers a Tory leadership contest now that's meant to take three months which would take us to the middle of February which would be about five weeks before we're due to leave the EU now look you could probably speed that process up but even so by mid-January the government's legally obliged to start formal no deal planning and make a statement in the Commons about the planning they are making for leaving without a deal they'll be legally obliged to do that in January they would do that conceivably without a leader even if you somehow manage to arrange a coronation of a Dominic Raab or a Boris Johnson or a Jacob Rees-Mogg, which I don't think is remotely possible because the other side will nominate someone to go against you... What do you imagine the EU is then going to do? Do you imagine that Michel Barnier is going to say, oh, well, in that case, let me just pull this far more advantageous deal for you out of our back pocket. We were just waiting for her to go. Here's the better deal. Or do you think they're going to say, not our problem, batten down the hatches
1: and wait? There's no question Barnier and co are going to have uh, no sympathy or, or any time uh, for the shenanigans going on across the channel presently. They've, they've got a timescale there working to, they're going to do us absolutely no favours whatsoever if we, if we choose to crowbar and a, an extra Prime Minister in between now and the, the end of the Brexit uh, process. So I would say, I mean, there, there's no great solution to this. There's, there's, no, there's no rose-tinted uh, conclusion. But Theresa May wanted this job. She wanted to be Prime Minister and she knew the, the, what political period she was coming into. I think it's only right that she continues out and staggers on to the end of this deal, and then yes, she will be Jesson, she will be got rid of. But I think to start trying to bring in another lead character at this point in this in this political drama, I think would be would be the wrong irresponsible, inefficient, impractical thing to do.
0: Now, one thing that struck me after the last few days is how politics makes for strange bedfellows. You remember how a few months ago, anybody who called for proper parliamentary scrutiny of the Brexit deal was dismissed by passionate Brexiteers as a troublemaker, indeed, as an Enemy of the people. Now, suddenly, those same Brexiteers have discovered a newfound enthusiasm for parliamentary sovereignty, something which, under the terms of Theresa May's deal, may be a power they don't enjoy for very much longer. Let's dive into the draft deal that we've all kind of forgotten about after the last 24 hours. On first examination, the EU seems to have won pretty much every single battle. The UK's already signed up to a transition period, which means we have to follow the EU's rules through to the end. of 2020. And we will have, as of the end of March next year, absolutely no say in what those rules are or how they are formed. Now, the fabled Irish backstop, which we've all spent so long trying to understand, is confirmed as potentially tying the whole of the UK to the EU's rules with no say in them for an indeterminate period, a period from which the UK cannot unilaterally extract itself. Now, I don't want to find myself standing on the same side of any argument as Boris Johnson, but when he talks about vassal states, that does
1: sound like the definition of one. Oh, it's, I mean, it's a pitiful state of affairs, and she, she's paying the price, the Prime Minister, for always having hedged her bets uh, between Remainers and Brexiteers right from the start, and what have, you, what have we got in terms of a deal as a result? We've got something that has infuriated everyone because it's unsatisfactory present in its present form on every level. So you've got the remain uh, to- Remainers on the Tory side, the more moderate Labour MPs who lean that way as well. Well, they're furious with her. And then, of course, you've got the Brexiteer side of the Tory party who are incandescent with rage as well. So that's why she's completely boxed in at the moment. You
0: do wonder what our finest negotiating minds have actually managed to achieve over all these months and years. We've agreed to give the European Union £39 billion to be allowed to leave we will lose all the influence that we have now over the rules that we will have to follow. We'll have to follow them for God knows how long and we won't even be allowed to walk away. Some Brexiteers have pointed out that at least under Article 50, the UK can unilaterally leave under this deal. We can't do that. We have to win over this weird committee with this undefined independent third party acting as arbiters if we ever wanted to leave. And and this, according to Theresa May, is the best deal on offer. I mean, bloody hell, I'd hate
1: to see what the worst deal looks. Like At the heart of things, Theresa May was always a cautious remainer. Yes, she was very cynical during the time of the referendum and sort of went under the radar and only came up amid the flames. But her instincts, her political instincts are cautious ones, are those of a cautious remainer. And that's the way that that's been the political direction of travel, really, behind the scenes with her her own age, with Ollie Robbins fronting negotiations. That's where they've always been going. And she may have sort of pretended to the Brexit side it was going to be something rather different. But in her heart of hearts, in her brain politically, she just isn't capable of, of or just doesn't want to go that way. And inevitably has been met now with the fury that we see. When you question a minister, any minister,
0: the ones that are left, About the backstop, they just say, well, it doesn't matter because the backstop will never apply. Because somehow, having managed to negotiate this pitiful, abysmal deal in the last two years, we're now, by the middle of 2020, going to be able to negotiate an amazing long term deal that will have everything we want in it. Now, look, I take our insurance in case my house burns down, and I don't think it's very likely to burn down, but I'd still like to know what the insurance policy covers just in case. And similarly, this might be an insurance policy, a backstop, a last resort, but people have a right to know what the government is signing us up to. This deal represents the best efforts of our finest negotiators over nearly two years and is, let's be honest, suboptimal at best. So that backstop is a real possibility. And if it happens, the UK, as we say, will have to follow pretty much all the EU's rules And whatever the Prime Minister says, Northern Ireland will be more closely tied to EU rules than the rest of the UK. The EU is very clear that goods coming into Northern Ireland from Great Britain, from Scotland, England or Wales will have to be checked in a way that they are not now. That is the thing the DUP has said it won't accept. It is the thing the Prime Minister said that no Prime Minister could accept. And for all that ministers might not want anybody to notice that people have a right to know that, in pursuit of this deal, that has been
1: given away. It is impossible, really, to see how there can be a satisfactory resolution to the Irish question. I mean, and certainly when you consider that you've got a government propped up by the DUP as well, I do not see it's never, never added up how how such a how any form of Agreeable, acceptable, workable compromise can be reached. However, often the Prime Minister has pretended there could be one, then you've had this rather foolish remarks on certainly on the Brexit side, almost dismissing the the Irish question as a side issue. It has been an absolutely fundamental part of the failure of these negotiations to date. And there's no happy conclusion for the Northern Ireland border. I really don't see one. If, if, if we are, so Even with this dreary, dreary de- deal that we currently have to sort of half-leave the European Union, uh, so many people in Northern Ireland will be left feeling utterly betrayed. Now,
0: we have hardly pulled our punches in criticising Theresa May in the last couple of years. She has been. An astonishingly weak Prime Minister, spectacularly lacking in political judgement, unable to think on her feet, a dreadful public speaker, a lousy debater, and an appalling campaigner. But despite all that, it is still amazing that this was the best deal she was able to pull off. And yet... She's probably right when she says that this is as good as it's going to get. The EU, after all, holds all the cards. We want to leave, but we want all the best bits of being a member. No deal will be a catastrophe, so the EU can sit on its hands and wait for us to crack, which appears to be exactly what has happened, and you can't imagine that a new leader would change that one bit. It is bizarre, Robert, to hear people like Ian Duncan Smith complaining about a deal that sees the UK forced to observe rules it can't influence, that its fate will be in the hands of bodies it doesn't belong to for years in the future. I have a vague feeling that's exactly what the Remain campaign said would happen if we left the EU. And I
1: wonder now whether really the most likely road... Is really to go further that way into the arms of the original Remain camp, and I'm talking about you know, the Remain, the, the Tory Remain argument, the moderate Labour MPs, because to be to be cynical about it, there could be where the numbers lie. To get this through, there's no point really pandering to the hardline Brexiteers anymore. She's not going to get a deal through by by conceding to them. It just it just it doesn't add up for her. The only way I think she could conceivably stagger through to the finish line. I think is probably by falling into the hands, as I say, of the Remain supporting side of her own party, and the Remain supporting side of a section of the Labour Party. But I think her own political future is tied up with the establishment Remainers a lot more than the Brexiteers. I don't think she's got a political future. No, well, that's quite possible. I'm just just guessing if there's anything she can do to keep going. The one thing that...
0: Theresa May has said in the last twenty-four hours that is actually new and interesting and different from the just constantly repeating something over and over again in the hope that you'll finally agree with her to make it go away. The one interesting thing that she said is she keeps saying that the three choices are her deal, no deal, or no Brexit. So hang on, is is no Brexit an option now? Is that is
1: that suddenly an option? Can we just say oh, yeah, no, let's just not bother. I think I understand what that That means, though, because I think if, for argument's sake, if it it was a Boris Johnson, if it was a David Davis becoming an ex-conservative leader, both possible scenarios in this current mad time, then that, no Brexit... It, it it is possible there's gonna be no no Brexit that we understand, there's just be no deal that's gonna be made at all. And then we'd just go into the head into the wild west. I think that's what she means by that.
0: Well she's not explained it very well then, because a lot of people have leapt on it and thought that she's suddenly somehow holding out the idea that the second referendum is a is a genuine prospect. Yes, communication skills aren't her strong point, perhaps. <laughs> and Negotiation certainly is not her strong
1: point. <laughs> and negotiation
0: as well, yeah. And political and manoeuvring. Political manoeuvring <laughs> and thinking on a feet, leadership leadership everything else to be. <laughs> (laughs) honest i mean she'd make a reasonable (laughs) bank manager i suppose
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yes
0: yes nice suburban branch somewhere the other alternatives that she talks about leaving without a deal well if you don't by now realize that a no deal brexit will be catastrophic you've really not been paying attention And then this other idea, no Brexit, whatever that means, whether she does think it it means no deal in another form or whether she means somehow that Brexit would be stopped. And that brings us back to the idea of the second referendum. It remains a theoretical possibility. I'm still not sure how it would happen unless the Labour Party leadership came on board, which seems very unlikely. But if she presses ahead... If she clings on until the parliamentary vote, which we think will probably be the week before Christmas, if the deal is rejected... We all have the Christmas holidays to so, you know, panic even more than we are doing now, and we get to January and we don't know what's going to happen. Well,
1: who knows? Maybe suddenly a second referendum becomes a possibility. And Theresa May would, would surely would have to go. At that point, you'd imagine because she set out such stock to say no, 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 there wouldn't be a second referendum. The British people have spoken. Well, she said there'd be no general election as well. Yeah, so maybe so maybe, maybe she could ride. Maybe she could ride that wave still. I actually think. It would cut through and even temporarily solve quite a few problems because I think people would feel then they had a fresh momentum and a fresh voice on the basis of Britain having spoken again, having witnessed uh, this, uh, this appalling sequence of events. So to answer our question, what's going to happen next? I think the answer is,
0: like everybody else, we haven't got the first idea. If I had to guess... And I'm going to, and you can play this back to me in a few weeks. Oh, go on, go on, go on. I'd say it's currently two to one that the deal won't get through Parliament. It's 50-50 that Theresa May won't be Prime Minister by the end of the year, but I'd still
1: say it's probably two to one against a second referendum. I can see, obviously, I think Parliament will bring down the current deal. It's that Whether Theresa May survives, well, that's obviously in the balance, very, you know, very strong chance. Obviously, she won't. If she does, do they then go back? I, I do, as I sort of waffled on before, I do think there might still be potential uh, on, the, on the c- a cynical party political basis to appease enough... MPs in the commons to get some sort of deal through, but as I say, that's more on the Remain side because that's where the majority is, and I think the numbers could work in that way once this initial deal gets pulled down. That, again, is a rough guess on my part. And this leaves us where exactly? staring
0: at a no-deal Brexit, stockpiling medicines and canned goods while sharpening sticks to see off the people who covet our stockpile medicines and canned goods? Will we be gathering around an open fire, lightly roasting a freshly caught rat for dinner, listening to our battery-powered radio as new Prime Minister Jacob Rees-Mogg auctions off Britain's last box of paracetamol? This does not to be honest, sound like the bright sunlit uplands we were promised on the side of that
1: bus. No, that'd be fair to say. And of course, I mean, as as we've gone on, some of the leading figures from the Leave campaign, of course, have very much changed their tune as it's gone on once we've got into the heat of the the battle and we've seen how intricate, how excruciatingly painful this has been politically. A lot of people haven't quite fancied the fight. And and I think they've been found wanting the closer we've got to the finish line with this. Let's end with a statistic that is
0: either highly amusing or desperately sad. There was a Sky opinion poll which asked people who they would most trust to lead the country through the rest of the Brexit process. 10% of people chose Dominic Raab. The other 90% presumably hadn't heard of him. 17% for Boris Johnson. 18% for Jacob Rees-Mogg. 25% of people said they would like Jeremy Corbyn to lead us through Brexit. But coming out on top, with 31%, Theresa May. Theresa May. Probably the worst Prime Minister we've had in 60 years. Certainly the worst negotiator anybody could ever remember. Spectacularly, disastrously weak. And still the nation's choice to lead us off the edge of this cliff. So there we are. Brexit. We really are all screwed. Normally, we'd be back in around a fortnight. I suspect it'll be a little sooner than that. Uh, More, as ever, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PartyGamesPod. Until next time, you know, a day or so, thanks to Robert. Thanks to you for listening. Bye.